Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So good to have you here. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And I just want to remind you of the Father's love for you. Perhaps you've, you know that, you've heard that, but once again, you just need to be reminded that you've been made by a creator and he loves you and has a plan for your life. And uh, I'm just so glad that we have this opportunity to, to gather together, to be encouraged by God's word that we're gonna open up here in just a moment. I wanna talk just briefly here about our prayer and fasting. We're gonna do 30 days of prayer and fasting this year. Uh, last year we did 40 days. Uh, the year before we did 21. So the number kind of changes. The, the big thing isn't the number of days that we fast. It's important that we take time and that we set aside time to pray. And when it comes to fasting, uh, there's all kinds of different ways that you can fast. If you're new to fasting, uh, generally we're talking about food. Uh, some people have a complete fast, and they do that for a period of time. Uh, other individuals, they'll fast certain foods. There's a, a Daniel fast where you have just certain items and not others. Uh, some individuals, because of dietary restrictions, don't, don't fast food. They'll find other things, and uh, they'll, they'll stop watching television for that period of time, or they'll stop doing social media. Whatever it is that God leads you to do, we let, you know, it's up to you, and you don't need to report to anybody about how you're doing that. The important thing is that you take something that's been fairly important in your life, and you set it aside, and you're basically saying, God, you're more important than food, you're more important than television or social media, whatever it might be. We want you to take that time then that you'd usually spend either eating or watching television, doing something like that, and spend that time praying and ask God to, to change and transform your heart. So each year we do something like that and we invite everybody to take part. We're gonna be gathering on Monday nights for prayer. First ones tomorrow night, 7 p.m., we'll gather in the Fireside Chapel, be a time of worship and, and prayer. And we're gonna, this year, have kind of a theme, once again, as we go through these 30 days. And the theme is, who's your one? Who's your one? We're partnering with North American Mission Board, and there's a campaign that they're, they're doing and encouraging every believer in Jesus Christ to share their faith with somebody else. That you would have someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus that you would be mindful to pray for and to share your faith. So, uh, when, when you think about what it means to be a Christian, if you were to walk out on the street and you were to ask somebody, are you a Christian, you would have all kinds of different responses. Some people would say, what do you mean? Uh, others would say, no. Uh, some people would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but. Um, some of you in this room right now, you, you would say, I, I'm not a Christian yet. I've got some questions, I'm searching, and if that's you, that's fantastic. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're kind of wrestling and discovering who Jesus is. This is a safe place for you to ask questions and not have to pretend that you have it all together. None of us in the room, Christian or not Christian, has it all together. And so you've come on a really good day because we're gonna be talking about what does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, what, what does that look like? So if I'm gonna step across that line of faith, what's, what's Jesus want from me? Some of you in the room, you'd say, I'm a Christian. Uh, I pray to prayer. I walked the aisle, prayed at an altar, I got baptized. Uh, some of you, you went to confirmation class. Others of you, you'd say, I've always been a Christian. And the interesting thing when it comes to the word Christian, uh, that's not what the early believers called themselves. Uh, the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. That's in Acts chapter 11. 
basically a, a believer, they wouldn't call themselves a Christian. Many times they, they simply called themselves disciples of Jesus. In fact, the, the word Christian only appears in the Bible three times. The word disciple occurs over 250 times in the Bible. So there are individuals who, who would call themselves Christian who aren't actually disciple. Those are two different things. And so if you've ever been on the outside of church and you look in and you look at people who are in the church and you think, man, they call themselves a Christian, but they behave like that, the odds are they just had a title. They weren't really a disciple. And so I have no problem with the term Christian. I have no problem with the term disciple. It's important for us to know who and what Jesus is and what he wants to do through our lives to truly be a follower of his. And so we're gonna take a look at the first disciples and how they were called, and we're gonna take a look at what Jesus expects of us as his disciples. So we're gonna be in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter four. So you can open up your Bible or turn whatever device on that you have your Bible on. Matthew chapter four, we're gonna be in verse 18. Now this is Jesus. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting net into the sea, for they were fishermen, in case you couldn't figure that out. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Then in verses 21 and 22, it won't be on the screen, but it talks about him continuing along the Sea of Galilee, and he finds two more brothers, and they're in a boat with their father Zebedee. It's James and John. And Jesus says, why don't, why don't you guys follow me as well? And it says that they left the boat, and they left their father, and they followed Jesus. Now, how is it that Jesus got these guys to follow him? and to follow him so quickly. Well, if you understand a little bit of the history of what's going on, it kind of helps re reveal why they were so anxious to say, yeah, we'll, we'll be your disciple, we will follow you. In that day and age, if uh, you were a young boy, you would go to Torah school. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And you would start Torah school at age five. And it would start out with a ceremony. They would bring all the five-year-old boys in. They would take a drop of honey and put it on their tongue while they read the first few chapters of Genesis. And the idea was, this word is going to be sweet to you. I love how, how they did that. And so those young men, they would start to study the Torah and memorize large passages of Scripture. And they would do that for five years. And then at age 10, they, they would have kind of a, a weeding out. They would make a cut. And they would take only the brightest boys. They would, they would take the top in the class and those boys would graduate on and they would continue in their studies and they would study what we call the rest of the Old Testament. And they would do that for seven years. And then by the age of 17, if you wanted to continue on with your religious studies, you would need to go and find a rabbi. Now rabbi means teacher. And those students would want to become that rabbi's Talmud. Talmud means disciple. It means study. And so you would go and you'd present yourself to some rabbi, some teacher that you looked up to and thought, man, I, I want to be like them. And you would sit at their feet and then they would quiz you. They would ask you a whole bunch of questions trying to dig in. Do you have enough knowledge? Do you have the skills to potentially become yourself a rabbi? And they would take only the best 
of the best. And these rabbis could be exclusive because all the young boys at that time, they wanted to be a religious leader when they grew up. Their, their dream wasn't basketball player or football player or gamer or YouTuber. Uh, they're interested in, I want to be a religious leader. And so these rabbis could be really, really exclusive about finding just the right Talmud, just the right disciple. And then they would have a group of them, which is called a Talmidim. That's a group of disciples. And so they were choosing the students that were the very best, who had the capacity to look just like that rabbi. Not just to hear that rabbi's teaching, not just to learn things, but to look like him, to know what he knows, to do what he does. And so these Talmidim would follow their rabbi really closely, and they would watch everything that he did, mirroring it, making sure that they looked just like him. And the greatest compliment that you could give a Talmud, a disciple at that time, was to say, you have the dust of your rabbi all over you. That's how closely you walk next to your teacher. And so you have this exclusive kind of group who are the very best. Smartest kids move on. Then they get chosen. They got chosen by another rabbi. And if you kept rising to the top, the very peak of being a religious individual rabbi is a particular rabbi known as a smakah. And I'm saying that wrong. Uh, I don't know Hebrew very well. A smakah is somebody who has authority. A smakah has a unique ability to translate scripture. They have this power and authority behind them. And we don't know of very many of them. There's just a handful of them in the first century. One of them was named Gamaliel. And so if you've read your Bible before and you've seen that name before, you have the apostle Paul, who was Saul, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, who had smakah, who had authority. It's a very rare honor, and only the best of the best, and being recognized by others as being elite would be considered smakah, having authority. And so now Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, going back there, Jesus, who knows the Torah better than anybody, because Jesus is the word. We find him at age 12 in the church, in the synagogue, and everybody's kind of amazed at this young man. And then later he goes out and he teaches, and he's amazing to everybody, and everybody's saying that he teaches as one who had smakah, authority. He doesn't teach as the regular teachers that they've heard before, he teaches with smakah. And then in Matthew 4, after verse 23, he goes out and he's moving throughout the region and he's, he's teaching and he's healing people and miraculous things are happening and power is flowing through him and everybody wants to know, where did this rabbi get his smaka? Where do you get your authority from? Jesus. And so Jesus, who has all of this smaka, he, he begins to go out, and before chapter four, he goes towards a guy named John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, if you remember, and he's baptizing people, and he's teaching with smaka. He's teaching with authority, and John the Baptist says, there's somebody who's coming after me that he's greater than I am. I don't even, I couldn't even untie this guy's sandals. And so Jesus, who has all this smakah, begins to move in the direction of these four guys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and he says, Follow me. He is talking to fishermen. They did not make the cut. They had not been chosen to be Talmud. They were the B team. They didn't make it. They had to go back into their family's trade. 
And so Jesus, with all this authority, comes and he chooses these individuals, these men who didn't measure up, and he says, I want you to follow me. I want you to look like me. I want you to know my heavenly father as I know my heavenly father. I want you to be filled with the same kind of power that I have. What else would you say <laughs> to somebody who has that kind of authority? Smaka. So here's what I want you to know. Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. These guys are the B team. They're not the top of the class. They're not the best of the best. They had not been chosen. John MacArthur puts it like this. He says, Jesus skipped all the greats of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar, the great ruler. Jesus chose men to be his disciples so ordinary it was comical. Jesus chose the B team. He chooses the ordinary individuals, the ones who didn't make the cut, who weren't at the top of the class. He's not looking for people who have the most ability and the most talent. Many times, it, it, because of our ability and our talent and our feeling of self-worth and I can accomplish things myself, that gets in the way of our relationship with God. If you can do everything on your own, why would you need God? And so God is moving in the direction of ordinary people. He's looking for a few people who are B team, C team, the losers of life, begins to move in their direction and says, you are Perfect, you're the one that I am looking for. And so this should be encouragement to anybody in the room today who'd say, I've never really sat at the cool kids table. I've never really had all the talents in the world. You need to know that God is looking for you, moving in your direction, saying, I choose you, I want you, you're on the B team. That's perfect. That should bring some encouragement to you. Unless, of course, you're filled with yourself and you don't really need God. But if you're on the bottom of this life and you could just use a little bit of encouragement and confidence in your heart, know that God is saying, you're perfect. I could use you. In fact, Jesus, when he's talking to the crowd, he's talking about the greatest person who's ever lived. He says, you wanna know the greatest person ever born to women? He says, the greatest person to ever live was John the Baptist. And then Jesus said, but whoever is the least in my kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Least would mean that you don't have all the skills. You didn't make the cut. You're not the most eloquent. You don't know the Bible all that great. The, the very least. So somebody's kind of at the bottom. You're in the kingdom. Like you know Jesus, you have a relationship with him, but as far as being eloquent and knowing the Bible and having it all together and you got all these talents and abilities, you're, somebody's on the bottom. Like in this room right now, somebody's on the bottom. I know that's not really very politically correct to say like everybody's getting the trophy. No, somebody isn't getting the trophy. One, one of you, uh, you know the Bible the least. You're the least eloquent. You don't talk gooder than anybody else, right? You, you don't have it all together. You're not all that talented. And you might be thinking, I think he's talking about me. God's like, yes, it's you. Now, even if that's the case, even if you are at the very bottom, you, on the inside of you, have more potential for ministry power than John the Baptist, who was the greatest born among women, yet if you are in the kingdom of God and you're at the very bottom of the kingdom of God, when you are filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ, you have all you need 
to be his disciple, to follow him. He didn't choose you because you're a great parent or you look good or you're really talented or you talk gooder. He didn't choose you because you are awesome. He chose you because he sees you and he says, there's someone who's available. There's somebody who's not gonna push me out of the margin of their life. They're gonna invite me in saying, I don't have what it takes. I can't save myself. I really can't do anything on my own. I really couldn't walk if it weren't for you. I couldn't take my next breath without you. There's no way to accomplish anything in this life. And Jesus says, that's perfect. You can be my Talmud. You can be my disciple. The question is not how able are you. The question is how available are you? Not how able are you? How avail able are you? Have you made yourself available for God to use you, for God to fill you with his presence, to walk so closely to the rabbi Jesus Christ that his dust covers you? He does not choose the best, so you don't have to worry about that. He chooses the willing. But the point is this, God chose us. God chose us. He, he moved in our direction. So the, the normal way that it would work, like you're gonna work really hard, you're gonna get into Torah school, and you're gonna be a good boy, and you're gonna study hard, and you're gonna make that class, and you're gonna move on up, and then at age 17, you're gonna find a rabbi, and the rabbi's gonna like you, you'll like him back, and so then you get kind of elevated at that point. But Jesus chose these guys when they weren't even looking for him. He moved in their direction. He sought them out, which should fill them with this confidence, not in their own ability because they haven't had any ability, but in the confidence that God has placed in them to say, I see your availability. Walk with me. Follow me. One of the great things about the Bible when you read through the New Testament is how often you find the authors there talking about how God chose us just to give us this sense of confidence, not in our own ability, not in our own worth, but of a heavenly father who looks at us and says, I want you. You're available, you're looking for me, I'm looking for you, let's make this thing happen. Over and over, Ephesians chapter one, Colossians chapter three, 1 Peter two, Romans eight through nine, God chose you. He chose you. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, it says this, in verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. And so his promise to his disciples, those who are walking with him, is that he will fill us, that he will be with us. He will empower us then to bear fruit. And so when life is just kind of smacking you upside the head, when you feel that just everything that you are doing, you're a failure, you're falling apart, you have all of these obstacles in front of you when it comes to your marriage or your, your kids or your career. What you need to remember is that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to see it through to completion. What you need to remember is that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. When God chose you, he had a plan for you. And that should instill you with confidence. So God chose you. And then our primary call as disciples is to be with him. God chose us to be with him. Notice exactly what he says to these four guys. He says, follow me. He doesn't say where he's going. He doesn't say here's our task and here's how we're gonna work and do all of these things. He's just saying, follow me. I want you to look like me. I want you to know my heavenly father like I know my heavenly father. 
And so as a disciple, we are to follow closely to him. And the reason is, he isn't calling us to do something. He is calling us to be something, to become like him. And to become like him, you must know him. And to know him, you must spend time with him. And when you spend time with him, you then begin to soak in every word that he has spoken. I would say, if you're, if you're gonna have the dust of your rabbi all over you, you need to know what he has said. You will never know Jesus more than you know his words. And we find his words within scripture. And so we set aside time, we set aside some moments where we can be with our rabbi, with Jesus Christ, so that we're with him, not just simply to read words on a page or get more information, but to be in his presence so then he can fill us with his presence and we look more and more like him. But we learn his word. We hear his words and that he has given them to us. So God chose us to be with him and you have to leave it all. You have to leave it all. To follow him, to be a disciple, you have to leave it all. So with James and John, he comes up to them, he says, I want you to be my disciple, I see you're available. Will you follow me? And immediately, they leave their boat and father and follow Jesus. Now why are those two things mentioned? Why does the author mention the boat and the father? I think it's because those are two of the most significant things in our life. Our boat would be the career, and father would be our most significant relationships. Now I doubt that any of you, when God calls you, chooses you, and you begin to move in his direction, are gonna to have to leave your family or leave your career. But there will come moments in your life when you're going to have to determine what holds more sway in my life, my job, my family, or God. For instance, some of you in the room, you're, you're high school students. And you may be the only one in your set of friends who decides to be a disciple, who follows Jesus. And you're gonna have to determine whether or not you're gonna be intimidated by your friends or intimidated by this culture who says that you're not really all that cool and you're kind of ostracized by others. Or if you will decide, I'm gonna go all in with Jesus and I'm just gonna collect as much dust off of him as I walk as closely as I can. So you'll need to decide, am I all in? Will I leave everything, even being cool, to follow Jesus? Some of you have jobs and careers and you'll be tempted to kind of take a shortcut to do things your way rather than God's way and you're gonna to need to determine, am I patient? Can I wait for God to do his thing or am I gonna to have to take matters into my own hands? In order to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must leave everything, everything. For some of us, one of the last areas to let go is the area of finances. Like we, we don't want to, to leave everything to him. We don't want to tell him, like, all of this is yours. We want to hold on to everything, make it ours. And so many times you can see a disciple by what they're doing with their time and with their money, with what they consider to be the most important things in their lives. But Jesus never kind of hid this from us, this desire that we would be all in and leave everything to follow him and make him Lord of everything. Because at one point, he, he begins to tell people, look, if you're going to love me and follow me, you're gonna have to hate your mother and father and children and love me more. Like, you're gonna need to determine, do you love me more than you love anybody else? And then he says, if you're going to follow me, you're gonna need to pick up your cross. And just so you know, Jesus would say, I'm about to go to a cross, and I'm gonna hang on that cross for your sins, and I'm gonna die. And so if you're willing to pick up your cross and come die with me, let's do it. That's a disciple. 
you leave everything to follow him, to make him Lord of all. And so if you're kind of like, I'm not sure whether or not I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, just realize we're not calling people just to accept a title or a prayer. We are saying God has moved in your direction and says, I see that you're available. I choose you to walk with me, to look like me, to be empowered by me, to make me Lord of everything. That is a disciple. He chose us to be with him. We have to leave it all. And finally, he commands us to reproduce spiritually. That's what disciples do. In verse 19, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You're gonna reproduce. You're gonna find other men. Like you've been fishing, you didn't make the cut kind of spiritually here, but I have a different trajectory for you and we're gonna be doing what I've been called to do and Jesus' mission was what? Well, Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. There's a whole bunch of people in this world, they don't know God, they're in the dark, I'm looking for them, I'm moving in their direction, I'm inviting you as my Talmud, as my disciple to be filled with me and to move in their direction to help me accomplish what it is that I came to do, I will make you fishers of men. And this is an essential part of being a disciple. And this is the part where when I preach, I just realize either guilt or conviction starts to fall. Like you're talking about sharing my faith, pastor. I'm not doing all that hot in that area. And I know the temptation is for you just to feel the weight of condemnation from that, but I don't want you to feel that. I just want you to realize that the call of a disciple is to reproduce, and that all that effort and work isn't on your shoulders, it's ultimately on Christ, but he does call us to reproduce fruit. In fact, this is what Jesus said in John 15, eight. He says, by this, he's speaking to his disciples, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and watch this, and so prove to be my disciples. How would you prove that you're a disciple of Jesus? You're reproducing fruit. And then he says, in verse, you know, eight verses later, I, I chose you to go and bear fruit. And the temptation for so many of us might be to say, well, I think the fruit he's talking about is like more fruit of the spirit. I, I just need to get a little more spiritual in my life. And that's true. But bearing fruit is reproducing. If you've got a tree that is bearing fruit, that fruit is going to make more fruit. And then it expands, and there's more trees, and there's a result. And again, just, just so you know, we drive home this point, he wanted to make sure that in, in this going and reproducing, his very last words to his disciples in Matthew 28 is this, go, therefore, and make disciples. I don't want you to be confused that my call to you isn't just simply a prayer at the altar or a baptism or a confirmation class. I want you to know my call to you is mm, go make more disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now those words in there, the going, the baptizing, and the teaching, in the Greek, those are all participles which means they're verbs, but they're verbs that are really pointing back to the main verb. And there's one main verb in that sentence, and the verb is make disciples. Which means that in all of our going, and all of our baptizing, and all of our teaching, it's all about make disciples. 
And so at this church, a lot of times we'll, we'll use a phrase to remind people why we gather, and I talk about we're here to inspire people to become wholehearted followers of Jesus. Wholehearted followers of Jesus are disciples. And so all that we do is all about making more disciples. And yes, as a, as a body of Christ, this is, this is just a great place to be because we don't just think about what's happening inside this room. We think about what's happening outside of these walls and we want to minister to people outside these walls and alleviate suffering and care for needs. For instance, we, we got a team that's leaving in a couple weeks. Jess Schwedler has created a team. On the 14th, they're gonna go back down to Mazatlan. They're gonna build a home for somebody because somebody's homeless. <laughs> and so they're like, well, they need a home. Let's build them a home. There's a need. We, we have all kinds of ways that we want to reach out and care for the underprivileged. We, we care about the orphan. We have people who are involved in, in safe families and people who are fostering. We care about widows and we want to meet their needs. We want to make sure that, you know, people have clean water. So we go out and we run and we raise a whole bunch of money so that people have clean water. We care about human trafficking and so we're involved in making sure that people can find freedom out of human trafficking so that we can alleviate suffering. We wanna make sure that the unwed mother is taken care of, you know, and we're, we're doing all of this stuff, but the core of all that we are doing in all of those spheres is making sure that people hear about the salvation that is available through Jesus Christ. Yes, alleviate suffering on this side of heaven. But don't neglect to, to, to alleviate the suffering for all of eternity on the other side of this earth. I mean, Jesus said, what good is it if somebody gains the whole world and yet they forfeit their soul? What good is it if somebody gets a, a brand new home and a whole bunch of clean water, but they've never heard about Jesus Christ and the opportunity, that, opportunity they have to be connected to him once again? That's why it is so paramount, so important that as true disciples of Jesus Christ, that we make more disciples by going and teaching and baptizing and telling them, hey, there's good news. You can know your creator through his son, Jesus Christ. It's the only way to know him. Here's salvation. Would you like to be his Talmud? Would you like to follow in his steps? Well, God chose you to be with him, so then you need to follow him, leave everything behind, and make him primary. That's what we do, and that's why we do it. We want to see you grow in this year in God's grace in reproducing disciples. And disciple making is simply coming alongside somebody else who may not know God and loving them and telling them about what God has done in your life and talking about what God has done through history and opening up scripture and loving on people. And so maybe you'd say, all right, Who's your one uh, discipleship? What do you want me to do? I, I, I would say, first of all, the first thing I would love for you to do is to get engaged in, in the body of Christ. Because there's no way that you and I can be effective disciples on our own. That's why God has given us the body. We need encouragement from one another. And so to get connected, the best way that we do that around here is through, through small groups, through life groups. For some of you, the moment that you're gonna step across the line of spectator to Participant and disciple is the moment that you get connected with other believers so that they can encourage you, so that you know you're not walking this journey by yourself, so that you can be blessed and so that you can be a blessing. And after the service, if you wanna learn about next steps, this room to my left, your right, someone will be in there, they'd love to talk to you about, okay, how do I get connected into the life of the church? The second thing that I would ask you to do is for you to determine who is your one. Who is your one? Who is the one? that the Lord has laid on your heart 
that they're far from God and they need to know his love. Who is the individual, either you know, in your school or your neighborhood or your workplace or your family that God is laying on your heart and you're gonna say, God, I want this person to know you. Help me introduce them to you. Who will you reproduce your faith in this year? And, and the weight of that, like the outcome of it, that's not on you. Whether or not they ever become a disciple of Jesus, that's not on you, that's on the Lord. That's, that's his arena. All I'm asking you to do is to begin to pray, God, who is it that you have brought into my life that I might be a witness, that I might be able to share the faith that I have in Jesus Christ and what you have done to allow me to be your disciple? And then watch what God does as you build relationships and love on them. They're, they're not a project. Your one is not your project. Your one is the one that you've been called to love whether or not they ever give their life to Jesus. To love them regardless. Who is the one that the Lord is laying on your heart? That's your ministry this year. That's the one that God has brought you along in life for this moment in time so that they might have life. On the way in, uh, hopefully you picked up a, a couple of pieces of material. Uh, if you didn't, you can get it on the way out. There's a bookmark and then there's a prayer guide. On the bookmark, uh, that bookmark has uh, a perforated side and it says, uh, who's your one? It has the name of the person that God's laid on your heart. Maybe you know that person now, maybe you don't. If you do know that name, I would encourage you to, to write it down, first name, first and last name, doesn't matter, you're gonna keep it, you don't have to turn this in. You, you would tear that off and put it someplace where you're gonna remember to pray for the one that the Lord has laid on your heart who's far from God. And you can put it on your mirror, and so you're reminded as you get ready for work to pray for them, you can put it in your car, wherever you're gonna be reminded to daily pray for this individual. The other side of the bookmark, it has different scripture verses, readings throughout the 30 days. You read that verse, you pray it over the individual that uh, you know the Lord has laid on your heart. In the prayer guide, uh, pick up one of these as well. In the prayer guide, it has a, a daily scripture reading, same scripture reading, and then just kind of a, a, a helpful prayer guide for that individual that you're praying for. And then on the other side, it's kind of blank, and you can fill in other requests or needs that the Lord lays on your heart. I would encourage you uh, to come back to prayer tomorrow night where we're gonna have worship and prayer and you can bring your, your guide with you. So if you've got questions like, how do I do this? I'm not quite sure. We'll answer some of those questions and we'll use this kind of just as our guide uh, for, for prayer tomorrow night. So, so pick these up. Make sure that you do that. Uh, if you need more resources or would like more resources, on our website, on the very front page there, there's resources. Uh, you can get a daily devotional, uh, and you can print that out, and you can follow through, or, or you can read it on PDF, however you'd like to do it. But there's other resources that are there as well. So here's what we're asking you to do. Get engaged in the life of the church. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. I would encourage you to, to begin to pray, God, who's my one? Who's the one that you've brought me into their life for such a time as this? so that they might know you. And I know that it's challenging. I, th th there's all kinds of things that begin to intimidate us when it comes to how do I do this? How do I share my faith? We're gonna talk about that. I don't wanna leave you stranded in this. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll walk through this together. But right now, who's your one? Who has God brought into your life? In, in my heart, in my mind, I'm kind of looking down the road and I'm just hoping and dreaming that at some point, you'll be able to come to me as somebody's getting baptized in these waters and you'll say, that's my one. That's the one that God laid on my heart. 
That's the one that I'd been praying for and fasting for for like 30 days. I hope somewhere along the line there's somebody praying at this altar and they give their life to Jesus and you just can't contain the joy that you have knowing that you were a part of God working through your life to minister to somebody else. Who's your one? Let's pray. Father, for all of us in here, we are on a journey. Some of my friends in this room right now have not yet stepped across that line of faith. They have not made you the Lord and Savior of their life. They are not disciples yet. I pray that as a result of today and understanding just a little bit more of what you call us to be and to do, that they would come that much closer to you, that you would transform their hearts and their lives, that they would know that they are loved so much, and because of their available heart, you've chosen them to walk with you, to know Jesus Christ, to know you for eternity. And for my friends in this room, those of us who have made that decision, you've called us not to shrink back in fear, but to move forward in confidence, knowing that you have chosen us to be your disciples, to walk with you, to be with you, to leave it all, to leave the fear of man and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. And as we move out on this adventure throughout this year, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go before us and your kingdom would advance. Please, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.